I don't know why each of you came to fellowship this morning, but there is something I do know. There are some of you in this room who will drive off this campus today and your life will be forever changed. Uh, your day is not gonna be marked by whatever you're gonna do for the Super Bowl tonight. You, and you know this, you won't remember who played in six months. But you'll remember this day. You'll remember it because your life will be changed forever. Now, the reason I, I'm, I'm confident in that is because some of us are going to hear God's word today. And you may say, well, won't all of us hear God's word today? Well, according to James, yes and no. Um, it's true in one sense, everybody's gonna hear God's word, but in another, um, boy, nothing could be further from the truth. There are two kinds of hearers when God speaks, according to James. Um, those who hear the word and do it, and those who hear the word and don't do it. The one truly hears, the second does not. Uh, the one will change your life forever. Uh, the second, if I may say this, puts you in a position where one day, I can't unpack this fully, trust me, Jesus has said this, where if you always hear it but don't do it one day, uh, you will find you can no longer hear it. There's a lot at stake. David Pawson, an author, Bible teacher, said this, there are two problems with the scripture. The first is when you don't understand it. The second is when you do. Here's the good news, and you're gonna see this. I'm gonna move very quickly. This text that Heather just read is not hard to understand. The, the, uh, there will be no one in this room that can walk out of here and, 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 and say, I didn't understand it. You will understand it. And here's what it raises for us. We have a tremendous opportunity today because you're gonna understand it. And the opportunity is what do we do with it? I'm gonna briefly explain the passage but I am gonna move quickly because it is easy to understand and then we're gonna spend the second half of the message listening to a couple who heard God's word uh, early in their marriage and uh, they've never been the same since. And I just wanna explore that with you to go, okay, this is what this could look like. If you're not there, go to James chapter one. James chapter one, we're in verses 19 to 27. As chapter one concludes, James makes a little bit of a turn, and we've been looking at our response to the trials of life, okay? James 1, 1 through 18. What James is gonna say in verses 19 to 27 is, our response to these trials is predicated upon or by, and really is all about our response to God's word. That, that's just all, this is the whole message. Our, it's our, our trials and, and, and enduring, hupomeno and remaining, and all that's really about your response to this word. So that's the major heading. How do we respond to God's word? Uh, how do we hear it? 
James says hearing y'all is way more than just the auditory physiological stuff that's going on right now as your ears are hearing this coming out of my mouth and the microphones. He says three things. Here's three very simple principles we see here that we, we don't think about this. when we, we just hear, but we don't really hear. Here's what biblical hearing entails. There's intentional preparation. Never think about this, but when you really hear, you have to prepare to hear. Secondly, there is a, a, a welcome reception or a humble reception. So there's preparation, there's this reception, this humble reception. And the last part, and this is the last part of the verse, is there's this concrete action. And when you take preparation, reception, and action and put that together, you've heard God's word. Remove any part of it, you haven't heard it. Oh, you've heard it, James really calls you deluded. <laughs> it's a heavy passage in that way. Intentional preparation. Look at 19 to 21. It's, he says, this you know, the better translation would be, it's know this. You need to know this in the imperative. My beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in humility, this will be the second point, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Now, uh, when we hear that, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Oftentimes, and this is not wrong, we'll hear that in the, in the, in the, set, in the context of this is how you relate to people. It might be at a marriage conference or a council. Well, you know, in your marriage, you need to be quick to hear, slow to speak. You, know, you hear it about interpersonal relationship, but I want you to know, while that's true, applicable, that's not what this context is. This context is you need to be quick to hear. In, in, in other words, Quick to hear. You need to be intentional about your hearing. You need to be uh, 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 observant. You need to be aware. Quick to hear. Slow to speak. Don't say so much. And you need to be slow to anger. The context is in terms of hearing the Bible. It's not like you had an argument with your spouse and you're going, honey, remember, be quick to No, no, no. This is about the Bible and when the Bible's taught or spoken, the words of God. You remember in our introduction, these are Christians who are, who are dispersed, they meet in homes, and someone will come. They have no written Bible, the Old Testament. Yes, they have no New Testament. This is one of the first letters written. And an apostle or someone else would come and teach them God's word. Now, how did they teach them God's word? They didn't say, open to James chapter 1, verses 19 to 27. They spoke. You had to hear. And you know what? You had to pay attention. You had to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Everybody get this? That's the context for this. And apparently, there were people who would stand up when the teacher was teaching and go, I don't like that, or that's not what it says, or I don't agree with that. Kind of like some of you come to me after a message, just kidding. You don't, you don't do that. But, but, you know, I used to think this. I, I remember when I first started teaching, it could still happen, but I was thinking, gosh, what if I'm teaching this and someone jumps up and says, that's not what it means. And I, you know, I just freak out. Now I would just go, okay, let's keep going, you know, whatever. But um, that would happen. That would happen in these, and, and, and James is going, no. You're here to be quick to hear the word. Even though it goes against your flesh or it may be pressing you in conviction, you hear it. You're slow to speak. You're slow to anger. Because people would get angry and real simple, their anger would not achieve the righteousness of God. In other words, when they would get angry about that, I don't agree with that, I'm fighting against that, that's not producing righteous character. That's all this means when he says this. There's a second thing we do, though, in intentional preparation. 
quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And then he says, you know, take off the filthiness, the wickedness. What does he mean? The image is, is taking off soiled clothing, just dirty clothes. It is, I believe, a very vivid picture of repentance, what it means to be moving in one direction away from God and to repent and turn towards God. God says, when you're preparing yourself to hear the Bible and hear God's word, literally, you know you're in sin, you're, you're choosing something apart from God. He says, look, before you hear the word, take off that garbage, that wickedness. Turn to God and move toward God. It's a great picture. Is it take off the wickedness? You need to, need to prepare yourself to hear the word. And you're not going to hear it if you're deliberately walking in sin. Take it off. So we want to be intentional about preparing to hear God's word. And isn't it worth asking this question? You know, I don't have time to pause too long on this, but think about, I'll ask you to ponder it. How many of us intentionally prepare our hearts to hear God's word. What does getting ready for church mean to you? I know what it means to our family. <laughs> Get dressed and go, you know. Isn't it interesting, he says, there's some work to be done before you ever hear God's word if you're gonna hear it. Intentional preparation leads to a humble reception. That's the second part of verse 21. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your soul. Receive the word implanted. What's the word implanted? I want you to look in your Bibles at verse 18. Verse 18, he says, in the exercise of his will, God's will, he, God, brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creations. The word implanted is the same the word of truth. It is, and Rob said this, it is the news of the gospel of Jesus. That, you know, you and I are saved by the truth of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. That's in its narrowest sense. In its broadest sense, the word of truth, and we find this in other places, is the whole Bible. This is the word of truth. Um, we, we are saved by the word of truth implanted. And he says, receive the word implanted. And, and, and at least my mind goes to, well, how do you receive what, you know, obviously they're Christians, so they're, 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 they're born again. How do you receive what you already have? When I was in kindergarten, so I was probably about six years old, we were in Memphis because it's where my father was from. His sisters were there. His, his parents were there. And uh, he was, uh, he went to Vietnam for a year during the Vietnam War. And so uh, what I remember is when he came home, we're at the Memphis airport. Y'all, this is 1966-67. You know, airport's a lot different back then. You're just all over the airport. You're in the bowels of the airport. You know, you go anywhere on the airport. And um, we're in there and, and I'm six and, and we're, our family's there and all his, his sisters and everyone and mom and dad and, and um, people are coming out, out of the, the um, terminal or coming off the planes, you know, and hugging and kissing and, and work people just walking and some people shaking hands and, you know, as people would come out. Well, when my dad came out, my aunts just, just started crying. You know, everybody's crying. And I'm, I'm six years old going, why is everybody crying? <laughs> it's like, isn't this awesome? You know, I never, you know, I'd never experienced happy tears. I didn't know. 
and, 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 and I kind of came around, so to speak, if you, you know what I mean. But it, it's a wonderful picture to me, at least gets us toward what does it mean to welcome what you already have? It means to welcome my dad is home and it's to welcome the word that is mine. It, it, it is to treasure, to, 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 to be glad. I, I'm grateful I have the word and I receive it in humility. Why? Because it's a gift. It's a gift. My, my dad coming home from Vietnam was no guarantee. It's a gift. And you and I, knowing this word and understanding this word by God's spirit and his grace, you understand that's a gift. And so do we welcome the word, treasure the word. This is all before we ever get to church where we are to hear the word. So there is an intentional preparation. There's a humble reception. And this just comes out so clearly throughout James. There is concrete action. Look at verse 22. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. There's a verse for the whole book of James. For if anyone's a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he's immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. Contrast, but one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, another way of saying and does it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, that's literally a doer of a work, this man will be blessed in what he does. It's like Rob and I are gonna be a broken record because James just keeps saying it. To hear the word is to do the word. These are inseparable, inseparable. To hear the word and not do it, it's like looking in a mirror and forgetting what you just saw. That's all he's saying. You know, the mirrors were just polished metal. You look at it. Um, you, you, know, you got dirt on your face, you, you're, you're leaving. By the time you get to the door, you, you forget you have dirt on your face. You just forget what was in the image. Don't, don't try and overread this image other than you forget it. Contrasted with another mirror, and the Bible's described as a mirror, and he says if you peer intently into the law and the perfect law, the law of liberty, peer into me is, is the idea of stoop down. I always think of it as I stoop down with my kids and I go, honey, you need to look me. <laughs> it's to look at the law like this and look into the law. The perfect law, i.e. the law which Jesus himself has perfectly fulfilled, i.e. the good news of the gospel. You peer into that and what we see is Jesus did what I could never do. He fulfilled the law on my behalf. I can't fulfill it, but he did it for me on my behalf and therefore being born again, the word implanted, the spirit in me, I now, listen, you don't throw the law away, I now live out the law because I'm accepted by God through Christ. I don't live out the law so that God will accept me. How is the law freedom? I want you to think about this because you think of the law and you go, the law, oh, the law. Oh, we got to care. It's not the way the Bible sees the law, the word of God, the commands of God. Freedom 
and this is to anyone in the room under 16, for sure, is not doing what you want, when you want, how you want, whenever you want. I mean, I, I used to think that's freedom. I'm just telling you, you know, your mom and dad might say that to you now, I'm saying it to you, but that's not freedom. That's bondage. True freedom is being and doing what you were made to be and do. That is true freedom. A fish is not made to walk on land, but a fish wants to walk on land. And so that fish gets out of the water and walks on land. I'm free. I can swim and I can flop on land. What happens to the fish? Yeah, so, such a silly illustration, but true. I'm just telling you, we often get out of the water, flop on land. We were not made for that. Whatever you and I pursue that is apart from our relationship with God, I'm just telling you, that's not freedom. And we were made, okay, we were made to be in relationship with God and we were made to exhibit his character. That's not a spoiler of life. That's the gift of life being and doing and expressing God's character. And we do that when we peer into the gospel and we trust Christ. And by the way, if you're hearing this, James says, let me give you three things you'll do. Just, it's not everything, but this is just, it's just base, baseline, concrete life. He says it in 26 and 27. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and keep oneself unstained by the world. This is, I'm gonna give you just super brief comments on this. Number one, you know, if you hear God, if you've trusted Christ and you wanna do what God says and express God's character, hold your tongue. That's, that's, that's the baseline. Hold your tongue. Proverbs says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Y'all, we, we kill more people with our tongue than, than every war in the history of man. But we can also give more life in, with our tongue than every medicine or invention that'll ever be created by man. Power of the tongue. Hold your tongue. Secondly, help those who are helpless. That's what he says. Widows and orphans, utterly vulnerable in that context, no social net to, to, to help at all. Help those who need help. That's the bottom line. You, you say you know me, you wanna follow me, help those who help the helpless because that's what God our, notice he uses the word father is like. That's what he's like because we're helpless. And then the third thing he just says, and don't be stained by the world. Okay, what does he mean? Don't be stained. Well, the world, he's speaking here, the world system, the world's values that are contrary to God's word, don't let those stain you. Uh, 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 an easier way maybe to picture this, or in my mind's eye, just see it this way. Imagine that we're all in, in the ocean. That's the world. We're in the ocean. You know, James's half-brother, a guy named Jesus, he didn't even say, hey, you need to get out of that water because it's, it's messing you up. Get out of the world. Distance yourself from the world. That's not what Jesus said. No, we're here to be in the world, but not of the world. What does that mean? Well, think of if the world was the ocean and we're all in the ocean. 
Well, we're to be in the ocean like a styrofoam life preserver. Because when that styrofoam life preserver is in the ocean, it's in the ocean, but it's not of the ocean. No ocean gets in the styrofoam. It's a life preserver. Do you get that picture? To be in the world and of the world is to be in the, is to be in the ocean like, a, like a, 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 a life preserver made of a sponge. Here, this will save you. What happens when the sponge hits the water? What happens? It soaks up all the water. It sinks in, you see, that's the idea. Don't be a sponge. Be a styrofoam. That sounds really weird, but, and it's probably, you know, like toxic to be styrofoam or something, but you get the idea on that. So, so, uh, can I say this? So understandable. Isn't that what he, you know, let's just say, if you hear God's word, do it. And do it at least in these three arenas. That's foundational. Okay, how do we, how does that, what does that look like in life? This is the fun part. We're gonna talk to a couple who heard God in their early years of marriage, graduate school, and have been seeking to do it, do the work of whatever God puts upon their heart. Uh, I want to welcome Greg and Allison Balmer to the stage. Uh, Greg and Allison, you guys come on up here. Let's welcome them and, and just, you don't know them, but you can clap for them. And um, I know as they come up here, some of you may be, may be like, uh, well, I don't, I don't know who they are. They go to our church? Yeah, they go to our church. They're, go to, actually, go to this service. You need to go to the eight o'clock or the 11 10. No, I'm, te- I'm teasing. Um, they, uh, they go to this service. And um, uh, I've been look, so looking forward to, to getting to share their story with you. I've got a picture I want to put up on here. And you might make note of this. This is a, a, a book that... Uh, Greg and a good friend of his wrote as they were, you'll hear this story in a moment called God and, and Money. And then there's a website and it's the generous giving website uh, down in Chattanooga. And there's a video there that is fabulous that tells more of their story because we can't get, get to all of it here. Um, I met this couple two years ago when they moved here and uh, they had just initiated, you know, uh, said, Could, we'd love to meet with you. One of the pastors at the church uh, we had coffee at um, Barnes and Noble, and um, they just kind of told me their story. And I just remember sitting there, you know, I'm, my jaws dropping. I'm, it's not literally, but in, internally, going, "This is just an amazing couple, and just seeking to live the life." And everything they share, just kind of about their life, it just lined up with us as a church, our values and mission. And I came back and I told the team, I said, God, I met this couple, this guy wrote a book, but he didn't come meet with me to tell about his book. He just came to meet one of the pastors where they're gonna go to church. Two years later, I find that, you know, Allison is leading Moms Together with Marty, um, uh, Greg, and they are plugged into a small group, fellowship group. They're, they're giving their lives away here, et cetera, et cetera. And um, as we came to this James passage, we're brainstorming, how do we, how do we help us get a hold on this? And I want you to know what you're gonna hear in their story is not like the bar that you have to reach. It's not the exact way you hear God and you will live it out. They, they don't wanna do that at all. What I want you to hear as you hear their story is how they heard, heard God and how that expressed itself uniquely in their life to help us to know how to express it 
in our own life. With that, I'm gonna let Allison, we're gonna throw a picture up here of the family. I'll let you start there. Introduce your family. Yes, so Greg and Allison Bomber, and these are our children. Grant is five, Leah is two and a half, and then we just welcomed Marshall about three months ago via adoption. So yes, we've been here in Brentwood for about three years. Um, Greg works in healthcare at a company called Nava Health, and I currently stay home with our children. And um, how long have y'all been married? We will have been married 10 years this summer. Okay, fantastic. Well, pre-book, there's a story that I want you to pick up, Greg, on um, what led to uh, these decisions that you've made, and we'll talk about some of those decisions in a moment. So pre-grad school, what's going on in Greg and Allison's life? What are you, how are you living, and, and what made you even take the step toward grad school? Yeah, good morning. Thanks for having us today. So to set up how we ultimately arrived at the book, I think it's helpful to set up our view of money and generosity prior to the book, um, mm-hmm. which I will say was a poor view. So we grew up um, in Christian homes. We're very uh, grateful to have great Christian parents, grew up in great churches. Uh, but for whatever reason, there was no discussion either in our homes or at our churches of generosity and of money. And so we grew up um, you know, with a total disconnect between our faith and our finances. And I think partially as a result of that, as well as a result of just, I think, our sin, we developed, you know, a taste for the high life. Mm -hmm. And so um, prior to arriving at graduate school, we were living in a fancy apartment in downtown Boston, dining out at the city's finest restaurants, taking five-star international vacations. We were seeking value in life through our stuff and through our experiences. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I mean, it's shameful to say that now, but it's true. Mm -hmm. And, And I think it was also that motivation uh, to accumulate and, and in, in some ways even to use money as a measuring stick of my worth, that's more me than her, um, that I think led to us even ending up at graduate school at Harvard where then God you know, transformed our lives. So, so we, don't think of, we don't think of Harvard as churning out people who write books called God and Money. <laughs> Goodness gracious. But you, you went, you had some motivation to go and what happened at, at Harvard? What are some of the things that, that transpired? Yeah, they, they don't call it uh, the West Point of capitalism for no reason. Um, I definitely didn't go there uh, in order to <laughs> learn how to give money away, but in God's surprising sovereignty, that's what happened. Mm-hmm. So um, we uh, were involved in a Bible study with six other families. So I was really close with the men, and then we became close, Allison became close with the wives, so there's the 14 of us. And uh, in this Bible study, we're exploring uh, how we would be wise stewards were we ever to be blessed with more than we needed. And so it was in that context that we had a chance to cross-register into a class over at Harvard Divinity School called God and Money, which was a fantastic course. For the final term paper for that course, my good friend John, who was in this Bible study with us, um, we had a chance to write a paper on that subject. How would we be wise stewards? And if I'm being totally honest with you guys, what we were really writing about is like, how little money can we give to like be in God's good graces, (laughs) right? Um, And, you know, is it like 10% or is like, 12% 12% extra credit, right? That's what we were getting at. But God totally transformed our view uh, of generosity. Uh, that was through two ways. First, we read the whole Bible front to back, everything it had to say about money, all 2,350 verses, to really understand what God had to say on the subject. Second, we surveyed 200 HBS, Harvard Business School alumni, uh, who are Christians. It was like the Christian alumni database. 
on their wealth and giving habits. So we were able to ask how much they gave, how much they saved, where did they give? And we used a combination of God's word and uh, just examples of incredibly generous families to really understand God's vision for our generosity. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And while he's doing that, how did he bring you along, Allison? Because you know, she's, she's working or she, she's at home and he's doing this with his buddies over here and moving in this direction in terms of he's hearing God. How did you come along? So I, I always was on board for just the idea of generosity. Um, loved to just give to different causes and things along the way. Um, so Greg, as he mentioned, he wrote the book with John. So his wife, Megan, and I, we just had so many meals together around the table talking through these concepts and really mm -hmm. thinking about what it would look like for us to really dive in deep to this whole idea of spending less and giving more throughout the course of our lives. Now, I will say it, it came with its sinful parts where, you know, here I was thinking my, um, my intentional preparation was I need to spend all this money really quick because the book comes out in two months. And I knew that once the book came out that there would be no more spending. Scrutiny so. now, like, what? What are you buying that for? But overall, yes, definitely on board um, and curious how God would lead us, you know, in the years to come. Yeah, and the group, I think the group is a fascinating concept and, and it kind of relates to us as Christians living in community. Talk about the group, both of you, on how that group formed and what that group is, does and how that helps shape even your lives today. So some of the really neat ways that we've been able to give um, now that our hearts have been transformed in this way is through that group of seven families. And so we each year um, kind of team up on a joint give project and see it through over the course of several years. And so we just actually finished. Um, we've been out of school now for three years, our first project, which was translating the Bible um, through the seed company. So as a group of seven families, we were able to give jointly more than any one family could give individually mm -hmm. and really see God work in really neat ways. Mm -hmm. And we just kind of put our votes in and our next project is going to be to build a child development center through Compassion mm -hmm. over the next several years again yeah. as, a, as a group. Um, we've also found, you know, it's just fun to give in different ways. So Greg has his Excel sheet with all the formulations of what's going to go here and how are we going to give to this. And I would say I like to give a little bit more spontaneously. And so it's been really fun to kind of be on this journey together. So mm -hmm. now I would say prior to this journey, I didn't have a lot of, to say about money. So I just knew not to spend more than we had. And I would always ask him before, you know, I wanted to give to something. And it's just the doors have opened wide as we've gone on this together. I know so much about our finances. Um, and then also Greg equips me um, to be able to give in ways that really match my giving, mm -hmm. um, well, what I'm passionate about giving towards, so my um, spiritual gifts. And so we have what's called a slush fund mm -hmm. where um, Greg has allocated, or together we've allocated a certain amount of money that I can just give freely without having to ask. So whether that's taking a friend out to lunch or mm -hmm. giving to a community member in need or giving to just whatever it is, but um, it's, it's something that I can wrap my heart around individually and he can do the same with some other areas of giving. That's, that's neat. You know, when she mentioned that you hear they, that group, they stay connected and then they give corporately in a sense, you know, as a group, which they can give more. And I mentioned giving to a child development center and, you know, it reminded me of Greg and Pam Ham, who many of you know, Greg and Pam, when they hit their, I forget which birthday it was, they, they just raised money from their whole community of friends and they built a Compassion Community Center. And I'm a big Compassion fan because their efficiency in doing what they do, boots on the ground, is phenomenal 
for those, uh, the helpless. It's absolutely amazing. Now this group too, you've got a name for this group and uh, they, you, it's active. I mean, you really use this group to help you shape some of those decisions. Yeah, we, we call it our Board of Directors for Life or nickname Badoffel. Mm-hmm. And um, we, uh, we tr- truly treat it like a board of directors of a company. So it's not intended to be like, you know, local accountability. Because at this point, we're all spread across the world, frankly, from like L.A. to London. Um, instead, we advise and support each other on the big things in life. So being a follower of Christ, uh, a, a good husband, a good father, a good employee, a good community member. We have monthly conference calls, annual retreats. Um, and we also are accountable to each other, including in the area of finances. You know, one thing I think is funny is like fellowship groups will be so open with each other about very private issues, including marriage issues or, you know, other sin issues, but we like never talk about money. It's like the big taboo. So our group, um, we share our finances with each other. And to be clear, it's not some like frugality contest. Like that's not the point. It's much more to uh, support and encourage one another in living out God's vision for our generosity. Mm-hmm. Now, um, when I met with them, they had just moved here. And so, you know, the, the book was new and I know you still share it around the country and we'll tell the story even as you're, t- you're telling it here. Um, but uh, some things are happening. So things happened right when you got here related to your work, kind of put you guys to the test in a, in a, in a way only God could. Yeah, you know, it's, it's one thing for us to sit in our ivory tower in Boston writing about what we'll one day do with money we don't yet have, and it's another thing to actually put <laughs> into practice. Uh, so to just briefly summarize sort of what we distilled from this process of reading God's word and studying these generous families, I'll summarize it in three quick ideas. First is everything belongs to God, which I think any Christian would agree with if you ask them, but many of us don't live that way, and we certainly were not. If that's true, then everything ought to be used for his purposes. And that includes amply providing for our families. So 1 Timothy 5.8, you know, Paul explicitly calls us yes. to provide for our families in that passage. That's part of God's plans for the provision he gives us. But anything above and beyond that can be poured back into his kingdom. And so what John, my co-author, and I realized is we were actually asking the wrong question. Earlier I mentioned we were really studying just like, how much do I need to give? But the right question, if those prior two premises are true, is how much do I really need to keep? If God is our provider and amply provides for our family, then anything above and beyond our needs can be poured back into his kingdom. So the way that we elect to live that out is through a concept called financial finish lines, which uh, are caps on how much we'll spend in one year and save in total. And to be really clear, I'm not saying that this is like a biblical command to do that, but instead for us, it's just a best practice way of living out what we feel like God is teaching us in scripture. So uh, as we go through the process of writing this book, we come up with financial finish lines for our family. We then move to Nashville. I join a healthcare startup here in town called NavaHealth. Um, six weeks after I join, it's acquired by a much larger healthcare company, and we receive an unexpected financial windfall of um, like actually about half a million dollars, uh, which, re- <laughs> <laughs> which represented infinity times my net worth. I was negative <laughs> at the time. And, um, and so, you know, what I, what I can tell you is that before God transformed us in this way, we, that money would have led to major issues for us. Money is a snare for humans in general and us in particular, and we would have really struggled spiritually with that. But because we had put this infrastructure in place uh, around the financial finish lines, it was actually very easy for us to um, allocate that money across the categories of spending, saving, and giving, and we've experienced such joy in doing that. Mm-hmm. Well, also, you're just get, you're, they're, they're moving, they're buying a home in a hot home market, um, 
you have one car in Boston, you gotta get another car. So you got some, some significant, you know, you can get a pretty decent ride for half a million dollars, but, that, that, but you didn't. Yeah, I don't want to make it seem like just because we have these formulas in place that this is like suddenly easy. You know, we've still experienced significant temptation in the area of money. Uh, so one example of that, so like Lloyd said, when we moved down here, we needed another car and I was looking at cool cars. Um, not a Mercedes, mind you, that'd clearly be sinful. Um, just kidding, just kidding, totally kidding, totally kidding. Um, but I was certain that an Acura was in the center of yeah. God's will for my life. And so I was looking at Acuras, and Allison starts to poke me on the shoulder and say, Greg, do we really need to spend that much on a car? And after I got done pouting, I you know, admitted, no, we don't need to. And I remembered that my grandmother uh, had a 2002 Mercury Grand Marquis in her garage that she couldn't drive anymore. Uh, and so I go up to Indiana, where we're from, pick up the Grand Marquis, and that's what I drive now. It had 47,000 miles on it, uh, rides like a cloud, and... Uh, <laughs> And that car, you know, I think, you know, the lesson there, I mean, look, it doesn't matter what car you drive, right? But the point is, um, for me, one, that car obviously freed up capital for us to be generous, you know, which is great. But more so for me, that car is a daily reminder that my value is not in my stuff, which as I described earlier is an example, is a lesson I need daily. Uh, And then secondly, that car has been a great conversation starter with others who wonder why I drive that car, Um, (laughs) uh, you know, to express what God's done in our life and frankly, to share the gospel. Uh, And so it's just one way that we're able to live out God's vision for our lives. You know, I I hope when you hear their story again, you know, God, they heard God and it it revolved truly for them around this concept of generosity. You can imagine what I was thinking two years ago going, that's, we have that value. So it's generosity, but it's different for you. So again, don't, don't hear like, this is just a financial, you need to do this, your finance. It's what do you hear God doing? And then what do we do? I mean, you know, it's like, how do I act? And that's the story I'm hearing from y'all. Now, I know recently um, you, you move toward adoption. And Allison, I'd love for you to tell, because that comes out of the, it comes out of all of that. It's not, it's not just out of thin air that you would make that decision. Describe that and how that's been and what's happened. Sure, yeah. So um, I think I always knew I would love a house full of kids, you know, if, if God offered that one day. And as we got married and uh, started a family of our own, you know, we just we started to have it weigh on our hearts a little bit more that adoption really might be something that God was equipping us mm-hmm. for along the way. Um, and so we started to explore it. We talked to Marty here at church, and he just offered so many resources for us, including connecting us with other families I know in our own body that have adopted. And that was just awesome for us as we just started to explore those concepts. And so we finally decided, you know, is it the right time? You know, how will our other kids be affected? And do we have the finances for this? And all those questions. And we thought, oh, we're overcomplicating this. We feel like God has really said yes. Like, you know, you are able, you are willing, like answer the call here. And so we put those questions aside, knew that it wasn't gonna just be rosy all the time, that there would be some challenges along the way, presumably, um, but said, we're going we're gonna to step into this. And so about a year ago, we started our adoption journey. And um, over the course of eight months, we saw probably 180 cases. Um, we were rejected 30 times, which 
the highs and lows um, of that experience. You know, every day was a new day of, is this gonna be our yes or, or not? And so back in October, we got matched with, um, Chelsea is her name, our birth mother, and in November, Marshall arrived. And so, again, it's been, he's been such a blessing to our family. We really, great addition and something mm-hmm. we're so glad that God just said, you know, trust me in this, step alongside me in this journey. And, and so that's our, our story of adoption. Well, I, when I, we spoke earlier in the week, we were talking about their choices in life, you know, whatever they may be. And, and I remember Greg made the comment to me, he said, Lloyd, it's, it's so satisfying. And, and it made me think, it's James's words. He says, when you peer into the perfect law of liberty, oh my gosh, when Jesus sets you free, he sets you free indeed. And it made me think of that when you say, this is just satisfying. Selfishly, it's a satisfying life to live this way. Hear God and do what God says. And I want you to unpack that just a bit and then I'm gonna wrap us up. Um, I think the biggest lesson that we've learned in living this out over the last few years is why God calls us to be generous. It's certainly not because he needs the money, right? He's sovereign and he'll accomplish his purposes no matter what we do. So you ask yourself, why does he call us to be generous? I think one, it's because he himself is generous and so we better understand his character through our generosity. Two, it's sanctifying, and so we become more Christ-like by being generous. And three, because we get to participate alongside him in building his kingdom. All three of those things, as we have done this, offer us incredible joy. So mm-hmm. the satisfaction that we get from you know, giving to a local community member in need or what have you, or this Bible translation, the satisfaction we get from that, we have learned, is so much greater than if I had a nicer car. Mm-hmm. And so you know, now we're hooked. <laughs> in a good way, in a very good way. Um, uh, before I ever asked them to share, uh, they made a decision I want them to share with you, the church family. And this is gonna, this will make some people uncomfortable. We talked about it even like, gosh, do we say this forever? And I'm just telling you, this is life. This is life of faith. We, this is how we live with one another. And, it, and it's not about them. It's about what God is doing. And this is gonna tie into something I'll wrap us up in terms of application in a moment. But I just asked them early in the week to do this. Now, I knew that I wanted someone in this passage rather than just teaching the passage, which is understandable. I, I really thought, I want, I, want, I want us to see it in life. You know, They're not perfect by any means. Uh, don't, don't go do what they do in terms of the specifics. Do what they do in terms of hear God, do what God tells you to do. And so you guys made a decision that you told me prior to even me asking you to do this. And I'd love you to share that with the body and I'll tell you what uh, Marty's doing. Yeah, um, so you know, we've just experienced such joy uh, living this out as well as such joy going through the adoption process um, that we would love to encourage others who are considering the same thing, which we know in this body there is very, you know, God mm-hmm. is, the Holy Spirit's doing a lot in the area of adoption. So um, we'd like to offer a gift of $50,000 to families who are seeking to pursue adoption uh, just so that if money is a barrier for you in that journey that you can follow God's will for this in your life. Mm-hmm. So that, that was just kind of an aside and I went, really? Yes. And Marty comes along and says, well, I didn't know they were gonna do that. Uh, I'm gonna take $50,000 out of the I Choose You fund, which he oversees, and match it. And so I want you to know, and, and again, it's not about them, I want, but I want you to know it's people like this who do these things, like you have done even in giving to I Choose You. There is right now $100,000 for anyone who's, God is 
moved you toward adoption. There's a financial barrier. You need to step into this. This is not $100,000 that's gonna be there in 12 months. It's now, people. It's what is God saying to you now? And there's some, not everyone, that you, it, maybe that was the stop or maybe that was the speed bump. It's not there. Just step into it and do it now, unapologetically. Do it now. Step in and, and see what God does there. And it was so fun to even hear you say, oh, Marty wants to do that? Because he didn't know that. And, it, and, he, and then Greg said, you know, generosity begets generosity. It just does. It just does, even as life begets life. Now, here's what I want us to do. We're gonna do as we did last week. We're gonna take a few moments, moments to pray. I'm gonna ask the band to come out. They're gonna sing a song over you. You're gonna sit right where you are and pray and ask God, what have I heard? I mean, if you've heard him, then there's something to be done. I don't know what it is for you, but I want you to pray about it. And if you would like someone to pray with you, there will be uh, elders and prayer team members up here, including myself. And so this is time for you to pray. And if you need to slip up, come down, and you want someone to pray with you, pray with them, and then we will dismiss, and I'll have a very specific application. I've asked uh, Greg and Allison to stand right here in the middle because some of you may just want them to pray for you. You gotta get up out of your chair and come up and let them pray for you, or if I can pray for you, if anyone else, as these prayer team members are coming up, staff, uh, we wanna pray. Bow your heads. Let's go before the Lord. What, you, what, is, what, is you, what have you heard, and what does God invite you to do in these moments?